on this day that we celebrate the transfiguration of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The scripture is Matthew 17, the first nine verses. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, we'll, I'll, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved Son, whom brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Hmm. You like surprises? Sometimes I, I like that. Depending on what they are. Exactly. I even have it in the outline. Depends on the kind, probably. Well, <clears throat> the disciples had a surprise moment. And it was a shocker. Now, this happening right after... Peter's great affirmation and then his great rebuke. And then Jesus starts sharing with them things, for instance, saying, some of you are here today who will see the Son of Man coming in His glory. And then He invited Peter, James, and John up to the mountain with Him. And I know it was surprising for them, but isn't the transfiguration always just a little surprising to us when it occurs in the Christian calendar? I mean, it's something that we know about, but it's, it's not Easter, it's not Ash Wednesday, it's not Christmas. It seems to be this very quickly over, almost a parenthesis in the midst of the gospel story. And you know it's significant, but it's just strange. A little mysterious and over very quickly. I was thinking about this. Well, what do we do with the transfiguration when we are reading it? And I thought I'd haul out an old preacher's trick. It's a 
dangerous to share with you old preacher's tricks. You know why? You might not need an old preacher if you know all the old preacher tricks. But the thing is, when you are reading and you're coming upon a passage that, well, uh, 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 okay, and you're tempted to skip over it, or maybe even more so if you've read it a hundred times and it's always said the same thing to you, try this trick. Read it once as yourself reading it. Then look at who is present in it and then read it and imagine you're one of them. And go to the different people and imagine what's being said there in that circumstance to you as if you were one of them. So I want to do that a little bit and just sort of walk us through this today. And I want to view them in three ways. Viewing this as just the reader of Scripture, looking at it as one of the disciples on the mountain, and looking at it as much as we are able to, thinking of what Jesus may have been thinking about. So, first of all, as the reader, maybe... Pardon me. The first thing that jumps out to you is the first thing that jumped out to me. Of course, I'm a little different. I have a science background. I want to make the equations line up. And I read where Jesus was saying, some of you will still be here when you see the Son of God coming in His power and in His glory. And I want to say, well, wait a minute. What could that possibly mean, especially since Jesus himself said, no one knows the day or the hour, not the angels in heaven, not even the Son, but only the Father, the day when he shall return. So I'm wanting to solve that little bit of a mystery. And of course, then I just read the very next chapter. And Jesus was transfigured before them. Now, do you notice that this kind of looks in the description and what is written, it almost is like, oh yeah, this is the Jesus of Revelations, isn't it? This is the Jesus in the white robe. This is the Jesus with power and people falling down and being amazed and terrified. This is the Jesus of the day of the Lord. (coughs) Pardon me. And then maybe you decide to go a little bit deeper. Well, that's the New Testament. Does this refer back to the Old Testament? Well, on one side... You have Moses, on the other side you have Elijah. And you remember that Moses was the giver of the... Oh, it's not a hard one. The Ten Commandments. The Moses was the giver of the law. The law that Moses received from God gave to... We generally think of the Ten Commandments. That's a good distillation of it. By the way, if you remember, Jesus said all of the law and the prophets were summed up by the two royal commands, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that might remind you, okay, the law and the prophets, and who was the foremost among the prophets? Elijah. And that Jesus often summed up the whole of the Hebrew Bible, which they often said the law, the prophets, and the writings, but Jesus seemed to abbreviate that saying the law and the prophets. And you might think of it this way. Well, here is Jesus standing between the law and the prophets. 
So Jesus is the center of God's message to us. He said, well, that might be a wonderful meaning for this. But then maybe you start thinking back to the stories you remember from Sunday school or vacation Bible school. And you remember that Jesus and these three disciples have walked up onto the mountaintop. And you think, wait a minute. Moses... Something significant happened to him when he went up on the top of the mountain, wasn't there? Yeah, that was when the law was given. That was when he was in God's presence. That was when at one point he asked, well, Lord, just let me see you. And he said, well, you can see my receding glory. You can't see me in all that I am. You wouldn't survive it. So maybe, just maybe, you also think, wait a minute. Elijah was also on Mount Sinai. Remember after Mount Carmel? Called fire down from the heavens. The prophets of Baal were destroyed. <coughs> the offering was lit. And then he got word from the politicians of his day, you're a dead man. So he ran off and the Lord called him up to Mount Sinai. Elijah was depressed, distressed, and the Lord said, look, this is in 1 Kings 19, 11 and 12. Go out and stand before me on top of the mountain, the Lord said to him, Elijah. Then the Lord passed by and sent a furious wind that split the hills and shattered the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. The wind stopped blowing and then there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the soft whisper of a voice, that still, small voice. So you have Moses on the mountain in the presence of God, Elijah on the mountain in the presence of God, and here are these two men again in a high place in the presence of God of God. Jesus is transformed and transfigured to them. The voice from the cloud speaks as this is my beloved son. Can it get any clearer than that? But that is us looking with wonderful and glorified hindsight to see the messages that God might have for us concerning what does this very important event that were passed very briefly, very quickly. We don't celebrate transfiguration, not really. There's no Santa Claus, there's no Easter Bunny. But what does that mean to us? Okay, but is there something deeper we can see? And the next step would be what did it mean to Peter and James and John? And the first thing that I imagine was in their minds amidst all of the terror and all of the wonder, there was this overriding thought, well, finally, finally, what had the disciples been asking for? What had they been questioning the Lord about? Lord, are you now going to do this? Lord, are we going to call fire down on them? Lord, their idea of Messiah was this of the victorious, vindicating, avenging Messiah that has come to put all of those 
who have trampled on God's people in their place. Finally, these people who had grown up under Roman rule, Finally, those who had seen all of the unrest and all of the problems of the world, who had seen the poverty and seen the way that others looked down upon them, finally, someone is going to come and tell these idol worshipers that there is a true and living God. Finally. Because they give themselves away over and over again in the New Testament that that was what they were really looking for. Even after Jesus' resurrection. Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Even after that. I mean, they're in a high place. Maybe there was... I was driving back the other day from a meeting driving up on a little ridge, and I came to that point where the clouds have been hanging low, and you go up and you're in the midst of them. You notice that the cloud descended and said, this is my son. Now, what would you think if you had been raised on the idea like we were? The son of man coming in the cloud. And you were on that mountain. Here comes the wrath of God on the unbelievers. Finally, we've been working and striving and hoping for so long. Now we're going to stand back and watch God get to it. By the way, do you notice that any of us thinking about this moment, we kind of cast ourselves as the spectators watching. Have you noticed that? It's not like, well, God, what are you wanting us to do? It's not like now stand back, watch what he does. I think the disciples were very much the same way. They were set back. Now they would say our struggle is over. We're going to watch God take care of business instead of being a part of it. I don't think we're much different. The hardest thing for me, though, is to think how, what could possibly have been going on in the mind of our Lord and Savior. And that is always a dangerous question to ask you. We, again, with our hindsight of reading Scripture, so many times the disciples just totally miss the point. And we kind of arrogantly think, oh, if I was there, I would have gotten it. Sure. <laughs> sure we would have. No, I think Jesus picked the disciples very specifically to represent all of us. For instance, Peter. Let me ask you a dangerous question. How many of you have ever had your mouth write a check that the rest of you couldn't cash? Any? Yes, I see those hands. Uh, yes, you know exactly what I mean. Peter, I love him. He is like the rest of us, only more so. How about James and John, these sons of thunder? The idea that, well, I'm going to sit on Jesus' right hand. You can sit on his left. No, I'm going to sit on his right hand. Any of us ever gotten involved in these petty little squabbles? And how many of us have had something plainly right in front of our eyes 
and we didn't figure it out until someone pointed it out to us and you're doing this facepalm kind of thing. Yeah, they're us. But imagining what is in Jesus' mind, yeah, that's harder. Because this is the moment where Jesus is very much other than us. We're not there transfigured. We're not there standing between the law and the prophets representing the presence of God. But we do know this. He knew what was to come. He had brought Peter up there to see this, knowing that Peter would deny him three times. He knew Peter would betray him. He knew the cross was before him. So if you're looking at one of these nice uh, <laughs> preacher type words that links it together with the first letters, here's the tragedy of the transfiguration. This moment of power and glory that Christ experienced knowing that this was in front of him. That Gethsemane was still to come. That the capture, the arrest, the beating, the cross. But also the triumph. See, here's the thing. Up until the transfiguration, up to it and including it, that Old Testament program for the day of the Lord seemed to be going forward without a hitch. And as Peter demonstrated, even when Jesus was trying to tell them about His suffering, His death, His resurrection, they couldn't seem to hear Him. To get back to the disciples for one minute, don't you imagine that the disciples' biggest burning question, even after being frightened and scared and afraid to look up? Wasn't it, why did the glory fade? I thought we were here. But Jesus was still facing this. See, here's the thing. Uh, mentioned at the beginning that this story is almost like a parenthesis. I mean, it's happening, at least I think I mentioned it, right in the beginning. It's like, okay, the birth, the teaching, the temptation, the baptism, all of this comes up. Then we have this shining moment, and then the trouble in Jerusalem. Then the denial, then the cross. And this seems such a brief moment. But what's interesting is if you go to some biblical scholars, they categorize this moment not as the parentheses, but sort of this moment we're sharing now. This moment of the church that was hidden in the Old Testament, yet perfectly, consistently implied throughout it. This idea that maybe, just maybe, everything going exactly according to plan, and then here, when they expected the military rule of God to finally come on earth, God hits the pause button. And before 
the day of vengeance says, let's have a day of redemption. Let's have a first advent that is all about repairing that which is broken between me and my creation, between them, one another. Let's have this moment on the cross. Better yet, let's have this empty tomb. Better yet, let's have this day-to-day presence of the Spirit and through the Spirit's connection, this day-to-day walking with Christ. This moment where hopefully the kingdom of God is actually coming on earth in this way. If the kingdom of God is the rulership of God and if God has called out His people to follow them and written, as Scripture says, His law on our hearts and our minds. And if the Spirit dwells within us. And if it's open to all. If all of Abraham's sons and daughters are now truly like the stars in heaven. Countless. Isn't that so much of a greater thing? than just that military rule. And wouldn't the disciples, if they had gotten it, agreed? It took them the better part of several chapters of Acts before they got it, but they finally did. I guess, for me, here's the thing. I kind of think of this moment as this is the point where Jesus following His Father's will. I mean, He verified it in Gethsemane, but this was the moment where, as the old-time preacher said, He could have stayed on the mountain, but He went down to the valley to get the work done. And you know, this isn't a bad way to start Lent. Coming this Wednesday with a reminder that during this time of humbling ourselves, of examining ourselves, of being unafraid to ask God the hard questions about Him and us and our relationship with Him. Isn't this a wonderful time to be reminded that all of this, all of this that happened in the valley and on Golgotha and in the tomb, all of this was for us. Every one of us, all of us, each individual one of us. We have been given this thankful, wonderful, extraordinary chance, this promise of God that if we, if we simply say, my Lord and my God, we simply open ourselves to Him, He can make us into that which we were meant eternally to be. So we ask you to join us during this season of Lent. Don't be afraid to look inward. Don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. Don't be afraid to ask God to show you something new even if it is troubling because the God who will do this for you is the God who does all things for the good of those who are called.
according to his purpose. I love the way our young man down front is just giving the sense of the community. Is it time to quit, preacher? Amen. May the Lord bless you this day in his grace and in his joy. Let me pull out my bulletin. Jaden, we will be done. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Number 393 in the scripture, in the hymnal, we invite you to stand as we sing together. May the Lord bless you as always. The altar is open for prayer. The doors of the church for joining.